Welcome to the Basilea Hollywood Podcast, a community of friends committed to the message and practice of Jesus and His Kingdom. Thank you for Bill. Thank you for uh, how he's prepared and for his heart. God, we just pray that uh, we would hear your words, hear what you have to say to us today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. We're going to read the Bible. You may like to have one in front of you to refer to. If you do uh, and you didn't bring one, you can raise your hand and I, or perhaps it looks like Harry is willing to hand you one. There's one. Um, if you have a tablet or a phone or something that you can use to access the scriptures, you're welcome to take those out, and I'll assume that's what you're doing instead of some other less holy thing. <clears throat> and uh, if you are going to be looking at the scriptures, go to Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. Uh, before we get to the text, I need to ask uh, if anyone knows if the name Lindsay Snyder is familiar to anyone. Does anyone recognize that name? Probably not. Didn't think so. Okay, did I tell someone that or does someone actually know that? So, uh, Lindsay Snyder is the youngest female billionaire in the United States, and she is the president and owner of In-N-Out Burger, an institution I know many of us know and love. And um, I want you to imagine with me that Ms. Snyder is getting ready to go off on some lavish ski trip in Switzerland or something like I imagine billionaires do for a long, long time. And she's decided that she wants to have a few employees um, do some management of some of her restaurants because she wants to consider them for the core management team, but she needs to make sure that they've, they've got the skills. And so she takes uh, three employees. Let's say the first one's Harry. She says, Harry, uh, I'm going to put you in charge of five In-N-Out Burger restaurants. I want you to manage them well, make me proud, get me some money, and I'm going to check on you when I get back. And then she says to Allison, Allison, I'm going to put you in charge of two In-N-Out Burger restaurants. Make me proud, make me some money, manage. And then she says to Eric, because I know Eric can handle being the, this guy in the parable, <laughs> Eric, I'm putting you in charge of one In-N-Out Burger restaurant. Take good care of it. Make me proud. And she goes off on her lavish trip for some great length of time. And when she comes back, she brings her employees before her, and she says, okay, let's see how you did. Harry, give me a status update. And Harry says, well, Ms. Snyder, uh, things went pretty well. We, uh, th- we made so much profit off of those five restaurants that you could really open five more restaurants with that money right now if you wanted to. She said, great job, I knew you could do it, so I'm going to make you part of my core management team, and I'm taking you out for dinner tonight, some fancy nice place because I'm a billionaire, and so Harry's happy. And then she says, okay, Allison, how did you do? And Allison says, you know, Ms. Snyder, things went well. With those two restaurants, we made so much profit that you could open two more restaurants right now with that money if you wanted to. And she said, great job, you're coming out to dinner with us too, and you're going to be part of my core management team. Then she says to Eric, Eric, how'd it go? And Eric says, well, Ms. Snyder, I've heard that you can kind of have a temper and you've been known to fire people when they make mistakes and I was so concerned that I might screw something up 
that I just lock the doors on the place. It's all there. It's just like you left it. Here's the keys. Is Eric going to be part of the core management team? No. Is Eric going to continue at that company at all? Probably not. <laughs> I'm sure Eric in real life would not do that, but, uh, you know, we're pals. He, he can be the guy and not feel upset about it, I think. So, just to set the stage, uh, today's message, if you remember nothing else I say, remember the phrase, holy boldness. And if you have that, you have the gist of what I'm getting at. Before we, so we're reading an actual biblical parable, somewhat similar to the one I just told you. Uh, it falls in a section of Matthew's gospel that is concerned with Jesus' return. Christians um, believe that uh, Jesus is Lord and that he is coming back in the future to bring about the fullness of his lordship on the earth. He is Lord, but he's going to be... Uh, Lord, to an even more visible, even more full extent, and we look forward to that, and we wait for that eagerly. And part of his return, we learn, has to do with judgment. There's an assessment of, um, have people been faithful? Have people lived in line with him? There's grace deeply involved in that as well. But there is an assessment. And there's blessing, rich, rich blessing, even better than the billionaire dinner and whatever else uh, Harry and Allison would have received. And there's also judgment. And for some people, this will not be a good day. And so this parable that we're going to read today is one of several that Jesus tells about this, his return, judgment, blessing, etc. And uh, I'll highlight certain aspects of our text, and we'll get other aspects of it in the other parables that are related in, in the next couple of weeks. So let's read starting in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And this is, of course, Jesus talking. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents. A talent is a unit of currency. It's substantial. It's not like giving someone six bucks. It's more like giving someone an In-N-Out Burger restaurant to manage because you can really do some business with a talent worth of money. Okay? So to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Look forward to hearing, enter into the joy of your master. And the one, who, uh, the one with the two talents also came forward saying, master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Then the one who received the one talent also came forward saying, Master, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master replied, 
you wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I do not scatter? Then you ought to have, put my, uh, you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return I would have received what was my own with interest, at least. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there's a lot uh, in this passage. I can't talk about everything in detail that deserves to be talked about in detail. So again, holy boldness is the idea that I want to focus on. I acknowledge there's other stuff in here. So what are we talking about? What is this parable about? Well, of course, on the surface, it's got to do with servants who are entrusted with their master's wealth to do business for him. Servants or slaves in the ancient world did this. It was a different kind of institution than what we might think of. Um, and if you're doing business, those of you who function in business know that doing business requires risk, right? If you're gonna make money in business, if you're gonna do well, Risk-taking is involved, and hopefully some of those risks pay off. Others won't. That's just how it works. But if you're not willing to take any risks, you're not going to get anywhere. I think that's fair to say. I'm not a business person, but I hear that's how it works. Uh, the life of faith also involves risk. And so if you've been at this church for any significant length of time, you've probably heard someone uh, quote John Wimber. John Wimber's the guy who started the church movement that we're a part of, and he was known for saying, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. In other words, uh, to really get anywhere in the life of faith, it's not just faith in the sense of believing the right doctrines or claiming the right things or feeling the right things in your heart. If you really have faith in God, then you're going to, sooner or later, if you're living that out, you're going to take some risks. So... I'm using the phrase holy boldness to encapsulate this idea of a trust in God that enables you to take risks in service to God and therefore to make, uh, to bear fruit. So uh, holy boldness is going to look different for each of us because we are our own people. We have our own particularities. We have our own circumstances. And I believe that God has intentions for each of us in particular. And so it may look a lot of different ways. It may involve a willingness to obey um, to obey God when there are unresolved questions. So, for example, not that it's the most profound example, but when Danae and I moved to Los Angeles, uh, we packed up all of our stuff into a truck and started driving. We didn't have a place to live. We didn't have jobs. We just had, like, I'm starting school eventually. We're kind of no area we're going in. We don't really know anyone super well in the area. Um, we just kind of went. And that felt a little weird. It's not the greatest example. There are people who've risked much more, but it required at least a measure of holy boldness because we believe that this is what God was doing. Um, and it, here we are. It worked out okay. Uh, it may involve a willingness to be embarrassed. If we're going to share Jesus with people, if we're going to be open and public about our faith, Sometimes that means you encounter someone who doesn't have great feelings about Jesus, and sometimes you have people that look down on folks who have faith. Sometimes you even have people who have prepared responses for such an occasion, and I've run into folks like that on occasion. 
there's a possibility that you could find yourself embarrassed if you're telling people about Jesus. That's a risk. It's not as risky as in some parts of the world when people could die for telling folks about Jesus, but it's a risk nonetheless. Uh, holy boldness might involve a willingness to step out of our comfort zone. Um, Eric, a while back, where's Eric? Eric's back here. Eric gave me a word that he felt like God was telling me that I should do improv and that I would uh, benefit richly from this in my life. And that was not in my comfort zone, but, and, and God kind of tricked me into doing it a little bit, but it worked out. And it has been a rich blessing and it has been great, but it was not comfortable. I'm not, you know, anyone who knew me before I met Jesus would be very surprised that I'm standing in front of a room full of people on a regular basis and talking. That's not, this is not my idea. I'm not disposed towards this sort of thing. So this is outside of my comfort zone. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, lots of other things. I mean, I have, I, I, we could go on and add to that list, but I hope that gives you an idea. To be bold in service to Jesus does involve some risks. It does involve some willingness to trust God when we aren't 100% confident things will work out. That's just kind of how it works. Now... Our view of God, one of the things I see in the parable that we've looked at is our view of God impacts our willingness to take risks. If we see God as harsh, like the person who received the one talent in our parable, if we see God as just waiting for us to screw up so he can smack us, which some people do see God that way, if we see God as unforgiving, as unloving, as not terribly concerned with our well-being, as not terribly close to us, if we see God as this harsh Lord, if we see Jesus as a harsh Lord, we're not going to be as willing to take risks because the cost of screwing up is bigger, right? Um, it feels like we're acting without a net. It feels like we're in danger all the time. Whereas if we see God and if we see Jesus as the kind of Lord that I believe the New Testament shows him to be, as loving, as kind, as gracious, as forgiving, as patient, as close to us, knowing the number of hairs on our head, Matthew tells us, knowing the number of your skin cells that died since I started talking. God knows you that intimately. God is that deeply involved in your life. If we see God that way, if we see God as uh, seeing us as precious, which we also learn in this book, he does. If we see that we have the best safety net ever, then we are going to be more willing to take risks. We are going to be willing to act with a holy boldness. Now, uh, another thing I wanted to highlight was the fact that it's the person who got the least number of talents entrusted to them who saw uh, God as harsh and was afraid. And so what that maybe suggests to me is that if we think we've been entrusted with less than someone else, we might see ourselves as less capable or we might see ourselves as oh, well, I'm not one of those people, one of those super Christian minister types who is all capable and making bold choices. I'm just little old me. You know, I've got a couple of friends I feel called to um, love and serve and maybe say something about Jesus to or whatever. But I don't have a big ministry. I don't get to go overseas and do cool stuff. I'm not like the David and Anita Roos who oversee tons and tons and tons of churches. God hasn't entrusted me with that kind of calling. Um, I'm just a regular... Joe or Jane Schmo, yeah. Christian, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm not one of those people. 
and we might not even feel like um, we're as ready to take ownership over what God has given us. You notice the, the slave who received the least at the end says, here, you have what is yours. And the other two don't talk that way. There's this sense that um, this, is, this is my master's stuff. I don't feel a sense of ownership over it. I'm just trying to watch my own behind. And I think it helps to remember, like, whether or not you have as big an influence, as big a set of resources as someone else, you do have the same God. And so you are just as capable of accomplishing something that God values. And I think it's helpful to remember, um, God doesn't see significance the way that we do. I don't think that God, Harry and I were talking earlier, and he said, it's not about the bottom line. God is not about the bottom line. God is uh, interested in our faithfulness. And you can be faithful with a little, and you can be faithful with a lot. And so regardless of what sphere of influence you have, we all have the same opportunity to serve God and be faithful in a way that pleases God. Amen. Amen. So, given all this, um, if it is important that the way we see, if the way we see God is important to how we are going to live faithfully, then it's important that we try to keep our view of God on track, or if we feel we've gotten off track, we want to recalibrate our view of God. We want to have a good view of God so that we can do things that please God. And so I'll suggest a handful of ways. I'm sure there are others, but these are my ideas for how we can recalibrate our view of God. The first is we can learn from Scripture, because in Scripture we get lots of stories of people with holy boldness. There's too many to even really try to list, but think of Gideon, think of uh, Esther, think of Peter, etc. It could go on for hundreds of people. People who did things they were inadequate to do, people who did things against the odds because God was with them and it paid off. So learning from the scriptures, making that part of how we see God and how we see ourselves is good. We can also learn from good role models. So whether that's people in our church community or other people in your life, mentors or people you've even heard about that you don't know personally, looking at people like us who do the kinds of things we want to do, who act in faith, who are willing to take risks, who serve God faithfully and it pays off, uh, that can help us imagine that we could do something like that. Spending time in the presence of people who do something will make it easier for you to imagine yourself doing that too. It is true. Uh, another, th another suggestion, what did you say? Oh, I just proven like a proven fact. Proven fact. There you go. I'm not making this up. Um, you can keep a record of what God has said and done. So scripture, um, the Old Testament especially, if it's anything, it's a record of what God has said and done among God's people. Um, likewise, I think it's good for, if, if you see God do something striking and encouraging, if there's a moment or a situation where you see God at work, it's a good thing to record that. So I have my little book. I brought it with me today. This is where I write down all that kind of stuff. If um, I get a word that I feel like might be God, someone, we believe God speaks, and if someone says, you know, Bill, I um, feel like God's saying this, and I, it seems like it might be God, then I write it down. I write the date. I write who said it. I write where I was, and then I go refer back to it because we're forgetful people. We need to be reminded of these things. If I see God heal someone's body, if I see God do something else striking, I say, that's God at work and that's encouraging, I write it down, I write all that information, I keep track of it, and I refer back to it. And if I'm having trouble believing that God's going to do something powerful, if I have trouble having faith, or be, if I'm feeling discouraged, I can look at that stuff. It's very powerful to say, I have evidence 
that God is good. I have evidence that God is more than enough, that God is capable, etc. So that's a good thing to do too. And like the people of Israel would pile stones in a place where God did something significant, a, a physical visual reminder is not a bad idea either. So Danae and I have a few objects in our house that evoke significant things God has done in our life. It's, again, we're forgetful people. We need to be reminded, and it's not unreasonable <clears throat> to be deliberate about how you order your home in a way that you can frequently be reminded of what God has done. You can also share stories with friends. So it's not just what I've seen God do, but, you know, Lainey talked to us about what she saw God do recently. That kind of thing is healthy. Sharing stories, encouraging one another with these kinds of things is also healthy. It expands what we have access to. Uh, our small group is trying, we're trying to get started a thing where we have a shared log of what we've seen God do and ongoing, what do we see God up to so that we can encourage one another. <clears throat> one more thing we can do is give thanks to God. I think we should give detailed thanks to God. It's easy to say, God, thanks for being so cool. But what's really powerful is if you make it a habit to spend time giving thanks to God for detailed things, even when you don't feel like it, as a matter of principle. And so I try to do that. I try to go out of my way to think of more things, even to the level that it's kind of ludicrous. Uh, just list hundreds of things. You have hundreds of things to give thanks for. Take the time to think about it, because many of them we take for granted. If you don't feel like you have things to give God thanks for, do you have water you can drink? The folks on the landfill probably have a hard time with that, but we really don't. Did you get to eat food today? Well, there's, if you didn't, there's a table back there. If we have access to food today, then we are doing better than a lot of people. Something to give God thanks for, basic stuff. Can you read? A lot of folks can't read. It's handy. Give God thanks. And you can go on from there, and I recommend taking hours to do that. And of course, if you've got a job, so much more. If you have a place that you live, even more. And if you really spend time on it, that can be really encouraging because when we get frustrated, if you have a problem, if something hurts, if something is gnawing at you, it's very easy to only see that thing. If I have two things going wrong in my life, it feels like nothing in my life is going right. And then if I say, okay, but you know, like I have like paved roads and I have hot and cold water and I have a roof that doesn't leak, and I haven't always had a roof that doesn't leak, so I'm really happy that I do now. If you really work at it, and especially if you've put in the time to work on it when you're not feeling discouraged, then when you do, you have ideas fresh, you know, it's there, you know what those things are. And that can really adjust our perspective, right? We're not just focused on what's bad. It's like, oh, actually, like 99% of the things in my life are pretty awesome. 1% admittedly are not going well right now, but I'm not so discouraged. And then finally, we can pray for revelation because... Ultimately, if we're, if we're not seeing God as good, if we're not seeing God as loving, it's a good thing to say, God, I, I know I'm supposed to see you this way. It doesn't feel that way right now. Make that real to me. And God is good, and I believe God will do that if you pray that. So there we go. What I want to do is I want to get into groups of three or four people and just take a few minutes and do a couple of things. I think there's a slide for that. Uh, so get into groups of three or four, probably the people nearby, and I want you to share a brief story, and I cannot stress enough that it needs to be a brief story. <laughs> share a brief story about something you've seen God do. If you've got one, if you don't, that's okay, no problem. But if you've got a story, if you can think of something you've seen God do that's encouraging, share that story with someone. 
And then if there are any prayers prompted, once people have shared a couple of stories, if there's any prayers that anyone feels like they need to pray through because of what I've said, either that might be like, you know, I want to trust God and I don't feel like I see God that way as trustworthy right now, uh, you can pray about that with the folks with you. If you have an area where you feel like you have buried your talent, so to speak, and you want to adjust your perspective, pray about that. Um, you may feel that you have a hard time imagining what it means to exercise holy boldness. What I don't want people to think, we have a lot of introvert type folks. I don't really like those labels, but we have people who aren't so social, aren't so comfortable approaching strangers and doing the kinds of things that you might consider bold. Um, I do think it's good for everyone to step outside their comfort zones, like we've said a few times today. But um, it's not that God expects everyone to be a certain way. God will work with you as the person that you are. It's not about everyone having to be like someone like Allison, who's super extroverted. I'm actually not. No? You seem I like it. Grow up a lot. It's me out of my okay. <laughs> cool. So great. And I'm, actually, that's true of me, too. I'm a lot more willing to talk with people than I used to be. Um, it's not that God wants you to be someone you're not. God will work with you where you are, but all of us, in some way or another, God is calling on us to be bold. God is calling on us to take risks in faith uh, because we have the best safety net ever. So uh, all those things and others might, might be prayers that are prompted by what I've said today. Uh, so share some stories, say some prayers. Uh, I'm going to say a quick prayer and just bless you guys. So, Father, thank you that you are trustworthy, that you do make yourself known to us as kind and patient and forgiving. And thank you that you've given us significant things to do. Help us uh, expand our imagination about what it would look like to be bold in serving you. Uh, adjust our perspective of you if our perspective of you is too harsh. And open our eyes to how we can take opportunities around us to exercise boldness in a way that's fruitful. Help us to look forward to entering into your joy, and may that motivate us, God. Thank you. Amen.